Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with your old pal, Jamesy. And your older, much older pal. Feeling much older pal, Brando. In full HD today. Full HD Brando, yes. yes. What a difference a, a, a little camera can make in your life. I feel a lot better. I feel like you're right here with me. Well, that's... <laughs> like that's like, you don't feel like you're in a different studio today. I put on a special cologne for you this morning, so how do you I, like I got, it? I got, <laughs> I got that uh, new Smell-O-Vision hooked up to my uh, computer monitor, so it's coming through nice. Smell-O-Vision. Is that uh, Dracar Noir? Is that no, what that is? No, come on. I'm in my mid-50s, man. <laughs> it's gray flannel. It's gray flannel. Or Brute by Fabergé. Brute. That's more like it, because... Women we, uh, love had... Brute. I don't care what you say. Women love Brute and Old Spice. They do. You could put that on, yeah. and they'll eat you alive. Trust me. Trust me on this. It's a secret weapon. That or help you across the street. One of the two. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> I've seen. I've seen. Uh, I've seen this stuff work. I have personally had a great experience with both of these. Ladies of the Great Dive Podcast, <laughs> Here send we us. Go. Uh, send us a message. <laughs> what do you think? What's your favorite scent on a man? You could get a full face mask. (laughs) The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Not to get a card. You need to be friends with that fear and understand. Every man I know has Old Spice or Brute. I'm, facts are facts. I'm sorry. If it I offends I any, me. I don't have any cologne. I'm not a, I'm not a cologne. cologne you don't like to... Sometimes when you're in a, in a hurry... I'm a old Spice. I'm an Old Spice deodorant guy. There you I, go. It's all I've See? ever needed. There's, there's nothing wrong with the old trusted rely. As a matter of fact, I think it's going to make a comeback in this world. Just fi- old, reliable, high quality, low cost, or medium cost. It doesn't cost that much, but you know, you know what I'm getting. I think we're going to make a comeback in that area in the whole world because everybody's done with cheap, flashy shit. That is, you scratch it and it's garbage. You know, you scratch oh, the surface yeah. and it's just garbage. We want quality. Uh, uh, so we're we're going back. We're 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 re evolving. We're we're devolutioning. We're actually evolving. The the Dracar Noir uh, essence was devolving. We're actually evolving. We we had it right. We tested something else which sold a lot, but it was shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going way off topic here. <laughs> well, let's real well, rein this I back know, in. I know the people. That's what the people think. They're like, "Why did I even tune in today? What is, well, this is, is this a?" In a way, in a way, like if, if we are going back to look at that early evolution of technical diving, we are today. In yes. some ways, you're right on track. 
I am. Well, well, you know, everything's interconnected, so you could be talking about anything and bring it back if you're, if you see the big picture. You can always bring it back to the subject. So yes, your cologne choice does say something about you, and it the is relatable. And the fins you wear. <laughs> Dracar Noir is split fins with the dry snorkel. That's Dracar Noir. Old Spice, backplate, jets, spring straps. So it's it's interesting to you know to look back, you know uh, after this passing of old Tom Mount there, to give us this reason to to dive back into this old view of scuba, and really looking at the the different fingers, and especially coming off of cave diving uh, month this year to get a look at that cave diving group out of the UK perspective, because in, in many ways, you know, the uh, diving is so I'm learning more and more that how splintered diving has really been over the years with, Mm -hmm. there's been a very strong that, that has ruled diving education, you know, since the sixties was this very focused recreational contingent. But at the same time, you, you had a very, cave diving focused mentality going on in the UK that we just learned about in cave diving month. You had the cave divers in Florida doing their own thing. And you had the cave or the, the technical divers, which really started in the Florida caves. And then later on, mm-hmm. you know, became, you know, in partnership with, you know, the guys that were doing deep wreck exploration as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, they're almost like two different countries, you know. <laughs> One is is really concentrating on getting everybody in the water, and not really on quality, but mostly on quantity, and and selling the others about diving, actually diving the the again the the technical aspects of diving. Right, and we're. Tom was taking things back in the early days was a perspective of knowledge, training, skill development, really learning your craft, internalizing it and being able to do it all yourself versus the way the recreational world went, which is what 99% of the people are Mm -hmm. only exposed to. You know, it was a different world of it's safe, it's easy, the equipment will do everything for you. Right. You just got to go down and look at pretty fish. Right. I I think um, you think of how Tom Mount approached things and how instrumental he was in the development, especially the early development of technical diving. And, And when I say how he approached things with that mental aspect, he really had a huge focus on the mental psychological aspect of pushing your limits in the diving realm, whether it be overhead or uh, virtual overhead, like um, technical diving, you know, with decompression ceilings. Yeah, and it seems like, especially back in the early days of technical diving, there was a very strong community of divers that were all in it kind of do it because there was no agencies to fuck it all up, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It was uh, just a bunch of dudes <laughs> that loved what they were doing, and uh, they just wanted to to explore. You know, they they worked together on 
building the equipment out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Garage, they had to create it because it did yeah it didn't exist the 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 knowledge they were learning on the fly uh they weren't content with just going well after 100 feet you know it gets uh dangerous so you're not allowed to go to 100 feet you know they were Mm -hmm. like nah there's there's something below 100 that i want to go see and they were all working together in a community to to develop the techniques, to develop the skill, to develop a, a training regiment that they could follow to be safe. Well, isn't that the true heart of scuba diving? I mean, it's exploration. The you got to think the initial scuba diver, like Jacques, is he's trying to explore the underwater world, even if it's not at you know technical depths, but it was still pushing the limits because. There were no limits. Nothing was established. There were no limits. And you, everything was new, and you were learning how the gear worked, how, how your body worked in that environment. And then they kind of found a safe, relatively safe zone, you know, in that recreational area and started pushing that on the every man, every woman, whatever you want to call it, the average citizen. And the, the people with the real heart of the explorer kept pushing. And pushing further and further, trying to see see more and discover more and learn more. That's at the very heart of technical diving. It's that explorer's mentality, that explorer's uh, heart, even if you want to call it that. Right, but but I mean, when you look at the the big recreational agencies that have been around for decades. They don't they want to push the to limits. Sell, well, they, they try to sell that mentality to the new diver uh-huh. of you're exploring, <laughs> you're an are adventurer. You? But are you're, you though, uh, really? <laughs> he's got a dry snorkel on his head. Uh, clearly, he's exploring. Yeah, and I'm not trying to demean it at all. I'm, I'm All I'm getting at is these guys that were pushing the the envelope, if you will, and going past the recreational agency's uh, limitations, they received a lot of flack from the recreational agencies, a lot. And these oh, guys, that, they more than flack, they got shut down. Yeah, and and in my the, mind, they got the door door slammed in their faces. They did, yeah. It it was insane back then, and in my mind, it's very shameful on their part because the true heart of scuba diving is exploration and pushing limits. Pushing, pushing them, you know, finding out how to do it effectively and relatively safely. And these guys got shut down, but it's like they truly forgot their roots. The scuba industry and the scuba community, the recreational side, truly forgot their roots and just shit on people that had that, um, you know, the, the, the essence of a diver, which is explorer. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. I know exactly what you mean. Um you had that very much so in the early days of the the wreckers out on the east coast right you had that very much with the french yeah you know just getting the aqualung going mm-hmm. i mean it was a i mean that's where all the records were originally created was with cousteau and his crew mm-hmm. right DD and yeah yeah I think uh, you know they were made all the original deep diving records because they were taking it to what it could do yeah pushing the limit exploring that's what exploring is it's finding new limits finding new places you know it's all about uh, learning you know a couple of years ago Tom Mount wrote an article looking at the early evolution of technical diving 
uh, with uh, help from his old buddy Hal Watts there. How old is this article? Oh, right there. Oh yeah, April. Very of very recent. It's only yeah. from a, only from a couple years ago. Yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah. And right at the very beginning, he says basically what you just were saying, right? He says, curious, limit-pushing explorers had to develop dive techniques, equipment configurations, and equipment modifications to survive their adventures. These developments evolved into an education training system known today as technical diving. Today's technical diving programs train safer, knowledgeable and skilled divers based on the foundations gleamed from those explorers technical diving continues to improve with a side benefit of introducing portions of these developments into recreational diving increasing its safety exactly and and that's the other thing that's all all technical diving has done for the diving world has increased its safety level yes yeah. because that's where they've learned everything yeah yeah it, it, if you look at it from the very beginning, Jacques Cousteau was the first technical diver. Real, you know th- that crew uh, was the first technical diver. Yes, if you, especially if you say um, developing diving in an overhead environment, right. and uh, diving with a decompression obligation, and diving beyond the one hundred and thirty foot mark, which is what I think most people in the recreational community would would call technical diving. Yeah, they they were. Yeah. They were doing that right off the right off the get-go. You know, diving was technical diving. So right. now, you know, there you go, you know, 40 years later, they're going to outcast it as yeah. the no-no zone and and shun anybody that still wants to have that core idea as as outcasts it is a little shocking. Well, it is, and it's uh it's purely motivated on profit. Entirely, without question, without <laughs> without anything, pure, purely motivated by greed and profit. So they, there was a mob mentality, and it was it was almost like a bully came in and said, "If you are friends with these guys, you're out of the group, and if you're out of the group, you're nobody." You know, that's well, exactly, what and that's what happened in uh, like like 1992, 1993, mm-hmm. the big Dima show that brought yeah. all the divers, all the manufacturers, all the instructors from all over the world, you know, to the big show, this crew <laughs> that was, why is everybody not diving nitrox? Right. And they were like, You'll die. get out, <laughs> get out. You're not allowed in here anymore. Oh yeah. And, I mean, and they shut they... them out and, and, and threw, and these were like, uh, their buddies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. They, they were, I mean, they were good friends with these guys. They're like, no, we're not allowing you in anymore. We're drawing a line in the sand. And then three years later, they're like, shit. We're uh, getting now you can fucked. Come back. Now you can come back. We're getting fucked. Yeah. Well, we were just it, it kidding. backfired we on were their just asses. Kidding. <laughs> yeah, we're just kidding. It backfired and it was great because you couldn't turn away from the facts. You couldn't turn away from the science of it. And it was real science, not like science we hear today. It was actually backed up with facts. And they eventually, you know, I don't think it was the facts that that changed them. What it was was, well, I guess it is a fact. It's called profit. It's called we are missing out on a a whole shit ton of fucking money. We're missing out on a segment of the market. So they changed their mind. That was growing and growing and growing at that time and is still growing. Well, yeah, the articles that would come out in the mainstream scuba magazines just destroying the – trying to destroy the reputations of anybody that 
uses something as as we know now, as we uh, these guys knew then, as simple and safe as nitrox. The pitch that they sold all these uh, dive shops into, uh, of it's like. A fraction of 1% <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of the yeah. entire population. If you try catering to them, you're going to be out of business. And, and they scared the hell out of so many d- dive mm-hmm. shops, uh, like potential dive shops that really could have carried this thinking. And I mean, who knows where the community would be in 2022 mm-hmm. if it was all accepted and followed back you know, 30 years ago. Instead of pushed off to the side, roadblocked, Right. Ignore, ignore the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, again, it's it's indicative, it's symptomatic of the world in in general, Uh, this mob mentality. Yeah. In some ways, I, I understand it only from there was a lot of fatalities early on because there were people that were pushing those limits too much, too fast. Right, which we've learned from over the years, but you you, you have that recreational side but, that was they they saw the ability that hey we, we can have a great industry and sell a lot of scuba gear if we just keep it happy and rosy and safe. These guys that are doing the the deep air, these are guys are going into caves, they're dying. Let's stay away from that and keep our industry over here. I I can understand it a little bit from that point. But like what you said, that early safety record you're bringing up. Okay, this we're talking about nitrox. Nitrox had been used by the NOAA and by the Navy for a long time, with an, a great safety record. Okay, so it wasn't the nitrox. It's just like the trimix now. You know, they're accepting trimix and helium and the benefits of it. But the old the mythology, the I don't even want to call it mythology because it insults mythology. But the the beliefs that you know, helium was super dangerous when actually helium is way better for your body physiologically from the trauma the of off-gassing and on-gassing, you know. Yeah. It's way better. It goes in and out a lot easier. But they were pushing like, oh, man, you, you once you breathe helium, you're going to probably die. You right. Know? They Again, they... They didn't know anything. They didn't, but they spoke and, and, like they and did. And instead of exactly, yeah. instead of getting the knowledge and and trying to study it like what Tom Mount was doing, well, right? They just said, "Oh, you're gonna get bent easier. Yeah, it's gonna exactly. come out, and you're gonna <laughs> die on the way up." And thank God for exactly. for Tom. This was one of the things, you know, his background in the Navy, his his actual experience working with all this stuff. He. <laughs> I'm sure he just was shaking his head a lot. So scientific diving community started using it in 1979, okay? Um, It was introduced on a global scale to the recreational diving community in 1985. But it's been used, as far as diving goes, since the 1800s. Enriched air nitrox has been used since... They're saying its origin was in 1874 to the two divers. So this is it was nothing new if you followed diving. Now, if you were a lawyer that worked at making uh, diving manuals, let's say, at a large fucking agency, yeah, you'd go devil's gas, devil's gas, run, everybody, run. 
you know, realizing <laughs> that you don't know anything about diving, I guess. Yeah, you remember the right. devil's gas? You remember they were called devil's gas? <laughs> oh, I, I, I remember, man. And uh, at, the, at this time, you know, this is where it really was divided because it was controlled in many parts by, you know, Skin Diver magazine at the time, kind of ruled and distributed all the knowledge and publication mm-hmm. monthly to all the divers. I mean, that was the main journal of information that divers were getting their hands on. So it's understandable that, like, me, you know, being a kid uh, at the dive shop, I remember hearing about Nitrox. And I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. And the old-timers were like, that very thing. Devil's gas, you'll die. <laughs> yes. I, I, and then they, they would tell stories. <laughs> they would tell these, like, crazy-ass stories <laughs> that they were just, like, making up in their head yeah. of, like, what would happen if you breathed Nitrox. It's it's and, like uh, out of a, I remember taking I was just going to say it's like when they used to burn witches almost you know it's it's a lot of the it's same It's almost line. exactly like that. Yeah, yeah almost exactly like that. Um cuz uh you know I had a, a a customer that came in that was a was a cave diver back in the early 90s and we were having a conversation he was getting some you know some fills and one of our main instructors at the time was was there and he got into this argument and uh you know obviously the cave diver coming from florida was talking highly of nitrox because it was widely used even then and the local instructor who all he knew was skin diver and patty because that just it's all the information he had received at the time was fighting the opposite fight i mean like a red-faced, vein-bulging-in-the-forehead, you know, <laughs> argument right in the middle of the dive shop floor. So me as a kid and, you know, one of those kids who always, you know, grew up rooting for the underdog and not listening to uh, authority, I was intrigued by the whole Nitrox question. Yeah. Uh. You know, and, and I, re- I remember in the, the early 90s taking my IANTD Nitrox class and you know, my my perspective was changed, but you know, then, yeah. with if you can believe it or not, real knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And these guys in the '90s were like, "Ah, devil's gas, run! You're gonna kill. You don't know what the hell you're doing. That's that's never been done before." You're like, "Well, that's been around for hundred years, man." <laughs> A hundred plus years, and you're you're afraid of it. I think that's called ignorance, right? Well, I think by definition, yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I don't mean it in the derogatory aspect. I just mean it. ignorance. It's, you, you on, it's, it's an yeah. honest word. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, so in 1991 is when Tom and Brett and Dick and Billy Deans, you know, got together. The and, little rascals. The little rascals got <laughs> little together, rascals. and I A N D at the time was formed, yes. right? And then you know they split off. Brett went his way. Uh, T D came in. You know, yeah. so it became I A N T D. Technical um, diving. So I A N T D is internet for our our recreational crowd that may not know this. Uh, International Association of Nitrox and Technical Divers is IANTD, and it was a, it was in the beginning was IAND, 
right? Right, because yeah. the term technical diving really hadn't come right. come around to the scuba lexicon yet. But that was Michael Menduno who introduced that word, wasn't it? it right, right, yeah. Well, Michael Menduno was, uh, you know, working with Billy Deans at the right. time. Right, down there. And these names were thrown out. I think people should get, you know, if you're a diver and you're, you're getting into diving or you're, maybe you're new, even you've been in it for 10 years or so, but you haven't really got into the technical aspect or you don't know where this all came from and you are in the technical aspect you need to know the names that we're, we just said uh brett gilliam tom mount uh billy deans holy moly these guys were huge hal watts huge when i was when i was uh, getting into technical diving these were the guys i was listening to the very beginning. And like you had said earlier in this episode, right, this is also has contributed to what recreational divers are learning today compared to what they were learning in 1990. Even the methods of teaching. And and you really, yeah, absolutely. And you really got to go, like, even if, I mean, regardless of even what technical agency you're learning from in 2022, it all started with IANTD. Yes, for the for the most part, that was the agency. If you wanted training, like formal training, you had to go you went through INTD. They were and that's where really everybody stemmed from. I mean, you look at the the heads of all the big technical training agencies today, mm-hmm. you look at their histories, you know, Jerry Tabowski from GUE, right? He was, I think, an instructor trainer for IANTD at one point. I mean, everybody went through because it was really the only one. And then as time went on, you start, you know, that started to splinter off and finger into these own different ideas. But I I mean, you look at IANTD, you know, they were the first to teach Nitrox. They were first agency to teach a trimix program a side mount program a rebreather program you know they were the first really doing a lot of what we would consider you know technical diving so it's understandable that when you talk technical diving and you talk tom mount you're going to have to also Mm -hmm. talk about iantd because he's the man that really brought that to the community. And then now you look at what, you know, what they were doing back in those early days and so many of the agencies saying, hell no, we're not going to touch it. Yet that curriculum has worked its way into every major mainstream agency's instruction. True. I mean, that was the basis. That was the first one. And uh, they just went from there. You know, in uh, that Aquacore article that Michael Menduno did, you know, he was asking Tom Mount, uh, you know, back when the industry was saying, hey, we're, we're, we're not taking, you know, technical diving on at all. We're not going to com- promote technical diving whatsoever. And uh, Tom Mount's response to that was, I think it's a lot less irresponsible to promote the availability of technical diving because if you don't promote it, don't advertise it, no one's going to get trained. And if they don't get trained, they're going to make the same mistakes that have killed people in the past. So to me, it's totally irresponsible if you have the ability to train people and not make it available. 
we teach people how to responsibly advertise technical diving in our instructor programs. We don't say that everybody should be a technical diver. They shouldn't. Ah. (laughs) You believe that one? That's that's, That's that's, a direct, like, headbutting opposition to to the fucking mainstream narrative. Direct. Like, this is... It doesn't get any more opposite and 180-degree opposite from the mainstream. It's interesting because, you know, in 1995 when he's saying this, all the big agencies were like, we don't want anything to do with it. (laughs) And he's saying, no, just if you teach it right, let people know it's not for everybody. It's it. We can do this safely. And then five years later, they go, all right, we're in. Everybody can do it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They are such fucking hypocrites, man. (laughs) But he says, we're advertising the availability of training. If somebody wants to train, they need the prerequisite of what it takes to get into those training programs. The program is self-limiting by the very fact of what it takes to get there. I don't think that's irresponsible. To me, it's much more irresponsible to claim anybody can dive. Diving is 100% safe. There are a lot of people who are either psychologically or physiologically not adaptable particularly when you're talking about technical diving. Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Diving isn't for everybody, right? (laughs) Diving period isn't. I don't care what the agents, the recreational agency said. It's not for everybody. I I agree with you. And and, and that's why, you know, maybe Great Dive Podcast has been the enemy of the industry (laughs) since 2017. (laughs) Wasn't that in our credo? (laughs) Isn't that in our our company motto? (laughs) Fuck the industry. Uh, Sorry, guys. Not the people, but the the mentality. Not the com- yeah, well, not the community. Not, yes, the, community not the community of, of divers. Yeah, we're yes. we're advocates of the community. You know, I understand. You gotta. You need money for business, but by the same token, you need to produce quality, and you've got to have a philosophical, moral basis for doing what you do. You know. Well, there you go. And uh, if your goal is to please shareholders and make as much money as possible you're going to look the other way on somebody's moral Mm -hmm. compass and philosophical base for why they want to get into something because you just got to make sure you can teach everybody and and look where it went and it i mean if you know the this tom mount mentality of a survival instinct physiological as well as psychological barriers to who gets in financial barriers to training you know if if that was all the case i mean you'd have a different community of divers all it might be a lot smaller but at the same time and instruct you might actually be able to have a, a career as a professional scuba instructor that's respected and you actually make a great living from from teaching scuba diving you know, because yeah. you're able to actually charge a, a good a good rate and spend a quality time, not the minimum price for class, get them through the pool yeah. work as quickly as possible. It, a, a completely different avenue would have been taken yeah. to get to scuba instruction today. Brother, I mean, we talk about this all the time. This is the, now we're getting into the stuff that we talk about, you know, post-dive at the pub after a good dive. Being an instructor, the industry preys on your passion, okay? They know you'll pay thousands of dollars 
put in a lot of time to become an instructor so you can put that patch on your coat and you will go out and earn next to nothing because scuba instruction is the lost leader at the shop. They're all about selling gear and they want everybody. I mean, it's no joke. They want everybody to be scuba diving, regardless of whether they're terrified of the water, had near drowning experiences, whether they can even do it mentally and psychologically. You could get a full face mask. (laughs) Exactly. They'll throw more equipment, more cost to you, (laughs) the the freaking unsuspecting prospect of a diver, more cost for you, more money in their pocket, and not once considering like a high quality training program. Yeah, not everybody makes it through, but maybe they well, shouldn't. And and there you go. And if I was an ideal client for the high quality training program, I still get thrown into the bullshit quickie class. Well, of course. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like how how did they mess that up that badly? Uh well, very like short sighted. Somebody that's all. If you've got somebody that wants the knowledge, wants to put in the work, is willing to pay for their time getting coached and trained and really trying to learn something from a, from a quality instructor, they've got the psychological readiness to, to learn and, and, and be able to fully understand the equipment and fully understand the science and is ready to go for like university level education. Why do you put? Why would you even talk to him about ninety nine dollars, <laughs> and you could be certified yeah. this weekend? Two dollars an hour for the instructor, if that, and he's he slash she is responsible for you basically your safety, your life during that training, and you're giving them a couple dollars an hour, right? And and, and then with this bare minimum of instruction. Uh-huh. You know, sure, they're told they should do an advanced class, which is of another <laughs> uh, another bare minimum of, of instruction. And then the, the 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 divers, though, they get out into that world with that that pat on the back of "you are advanced," <laughs> right? After after yeah, four hours of diving experience. It's, it's that, yeah, yeah. You think you're going to so get four got, hours, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean your typical your typical divers got what? Four open water dives at right. 20, maybe 30 minutes each. Right. So they got five advanced dives at maybe 30 minutes each. Yeah, you've got less than 8 it's, hours in the water. <laughs> yeah, and and you're and you're advanced. like if you if you are I mean th- th- this is a a shout to the to the people out there. I mean knowing that you've got less than 10 hours, less than 8 hours of instruction in the water to let somebody shake your hand and tell you you're an advanced diver. You've got to be able to look, look deeper into this. Yeah. <laughs> tell me the, the, uh, freaking accomplishment out there that takes only eight hours. It's, it, that's worthy Correct. of, uh, like, yay, I did it. <laughs> and, and this was right. This was Tom's point. I mean, Tom, like you had mentioned yeah. in last week's episode had a 100 hour, learn to dive program yeah 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 absolutely that hundred hour program that's something i'm bringing back damn it yeah absolutely man that's uh you know anything of quality takes time and takes work anything worth anything takes time and work it you (laughs) it's it's just that simple man yeah i mean i mean knowing what i know now like i 
I would much rather see a, a scuba program that you you sign up just like if you were going to a martial arts school. It's monthly dues. You get in and practice. You get in and train. You get in and dive. You know, in the pool. Then uh, when the the instructor feels that you're ready for open water you get in you do the open water you get back into a classroom you get back into a pool you go back to some open water you just train and train and train and oh by the way i think you're ready to to do this open water dive oh by the way i think you're ready to do a shipwreck dive oh by the way i think you're ready to to learn about going a little bit deeper i mean that's what diving education should be yeah absolutely absolutely man uh so you and I, we've been doing this 30, 35 years. And I, are you done learning? I know I'm not. <laughs> no, not even close. I mean, do- <laughs> there's, there's a ton of additional things I need to learn and, and training I would love to do. So what makes you think you can become a, even an entry level? You know? But here, here's where I am right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a bet that I'm probably pretty close on par with you, but I don't just want to go out and take another dive class. No. There, there's people out there that I value their opinion and respect that I would like to go train and intern with to see how they approach the game for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I like, you. I don't want to go down, oh, yeah, I need this next level class. I Oh, this guy's got it offered for next weekend for 200 bucks. <laughs> like, I, I, like that is like a waste of $200, regardless of the certification level it gets me. Right. I, I'm not going to learn anything. Now, to, to go say, hey, I, I really like what this Brando guy's talking about. I want to go spend, you know, a week or two training and diving and interning with somebody. Yeah. That I, I find to be a highly valuable experience. Yeah, yeah. To see how they get up in the morning, to see how they approach thinking about a dive, planning a dive, executing a dive, what pieces of that I want to bring into my game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this goes to the old, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. When you when you have someone that has a, that kind of experience, that kind of know how a, a a good approach, you have a there's something to be learned there, and that experience should be paid for too. I mean, he earned yeah. he earned it or she earned it. They uh, to to offer them two hundred dollars for a class or even three hundred dollars for a weekend. Or, come on, dude! I, I, it's, yeah, a day maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A day—that's a day rate. I mean, uh, think of the job. Where? Tell me a job where all of that equipment, all of the know-how, all of the time you've got to invest, the drive, the travel. I don't care if it's just driving or you got to fly or whatever, and that fetches three hundred dollars for that day for a, what is constitutes probably 10 hours 10 hours right if that of your time right, that right. day not to mention everything else uh everything that it costs you to get there your insurance your certification fees your you know all the training all all of the equipment that you have to take care of fixing their fucking equipment when they show up to the site and it's broke you know uh, right, uh, right anyway just stuff like that That goes through my mind like, come on. Well, this episode is supposed to be mostly about Tom Well, (laughs) Remember him? Remember him? You know what? To bring it back around to old Tommy. (laughs) Tommy, I hope he doesn't mind. (laughs) If you're listening, wherever you're at, 
Tom. Uh, I mean this in the best way. Old Tommy. I think he was probably along the same mindset as as we are in regards to this approach, you know, after dealing with the mainstream scuba industry. Although he was he's more of a, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to bitch about it like Brando does. Cuss. I'm going to do something about it. So me, I just I just got a podcast and I sit and bitch bitch about it. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, it's twenty twenty two. That's uh that's how we do it. Word. Put out some old put out some old spice <laughs> and uh get your recorder going. So in Tom Mount's psychology of survival, at the very end of this article, he's got a little guideline, bullet points for survival. He says, I'd like to present the following guidelines for survival and a bunch of bullet points that go through things that you should be considering. Now, of course, as Tom Mount, it's not three key bullet points or five key bullet points yeah. or, or 10 yeah, <laughs> or even 12 <laughs> or a baker's dozen, you know, 13. No, he's got like 27 of these things. <laughs> Because he, you know, you know, he's sitting there writing them. He's like, "All right, what about I this? got three books. Yeah. Oh wait, I got, I got a fourth. And, oh, I should put this one in there too. I should add this one in there too. This one in there too." But his first one is train. You can't argue that one. You can't argue that. Train. Get out there and train. Don't take a class and think that you've got it at the end of the weekend. Mm-hmm. You get out there, you do your class, and then you, for the rest of your life, you train on those things. Until they're so ingrained in you that you can't not do them perfectly. And if you take a month or two off, I guarantee you, no matter how good you were at the end of last season, it's going to take you a couple couple dives to get back into the groove of, of really being clean. Right. His second one is learn the intent of the training. True. You know, it's not as, as commonly believed as it is. It's not to get a card. <laughs> okay. Right. That's not the that's not the intent of the training. The intent of the training should be more along the lines of these are some skills I need to learn to get a little bit more comfortable in the water so that I can actually get out in the field and internalize that learning. Well, yeah. The the intent is to be able to do what they promise that you'll be able to do, okay? That's the yeah. intent. The intent is mastery. They promise mastery. But they don't deliver mastery by not even a stretch of the word. No, because it's hard to deliver or even understand what mastery is when the only time you perform the skill is when the instructor says, uh, get ready, <laughs> get set, okay, yes. do, do it now. We're all watching you yes. to make sure it's okay. Comfort in the water, all, all the stuff they've gotten lax on, you know, the swimming portion of the swimming require, requirement, the breath hold requirement, not there. The, even the treading water, to now you can just float on your back. Come on. The treading water is more than just like treading water. It's, it's a comfort level. It's a physical fitness level. It's a mentality, psychological, in the water level. Uh, you, know? you know what? I don't even think – I think if you were strict about the water tread, it doesn't even have to be 10 minutes. I mean right. I can tell – in two minutes, what I'm dealing with by watching somebody tread water yeah. to, to, to see how comfortable they really are in the water. In two minutes, forget like taking a breath and floating on your back for the, the next eight, <laughs> right? Uh, who yeah. cares about that? That doesn't tell me anything. But 
of treading water and, and of actual swimming, like it, you can tell so much about what you're going to, like I know by watching somebody do their swim test, actually do a swim test, what I'm going to deal with when it comes to mass clearing just by watching them do their swim. Absolutely. You know, you know what kind of goes through my mind is, so you wear, you know, you've got that certification from that agency. Basically, you're wearing the colors of that agency. You are representing what that agency stands for out in the field. And you could go out on a, you know, Cozumel, Grand Cayman, wherever, on one of these Caribbean dive boats, and you, you watch one of these divers, even with their advance card. They could even be a, I hesitate to say it, they could be up almost to dive master maybe. Maybe that's a little too much of a stretch. But they could accidentally fall off the boat and not live because they can't swim, and they're, quote, unquote, a boat full of divers, Right, okay. right. Well, well, they were allowed to do it with mass fin snorkel. Exactly. Their swim test nowadays. I don't have that. I fell over. I, I drowned. They got to do. They got to do one extra lap yeah. with mass fin snorkel. Yeah. He says, uh, "Personal training, as in skill and drill repetitions. Remember the old adage: practice, practice, practice." His next point is he says, "Do some form of survival training." So you possess the discipline necessary to deal with what nature chooses to throw at you. Yeah. You know, in understanding outside of scuba diving that forces you to be able to correlate just basic survival to this other environment that you're in. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. Yeah, there's no, you really can't argue with it. Do you think he could have taken those 27 and like grouped some together to be more like of an umbrella of covering a bunch of things, you know? So, well, I mean, I try to keep I probably would have. I probably would have put the first three in one point. One point, yeah. yeah. Train, know the intent of your training, and practice your training. I would have put all right. three of those together. Right, yeah. I mean, just something like that. I, I'm more about, like, I think I've spent a lot of time in my life, and I still do this, trying to, you know, have a single philosophy for life. Is it possible? I don't, you know, a single approach that mentally that, that. Yeah, there is one. There is. Don't, don't be a (laughs) dick. Don't be a dick. (laughs) That's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. But I think things are a little more, you you have to do more than just not be a dick. I know a lot of people, I wouldn't call them a dick, but they're like failing at life in in many respects. If, If you can really do that. I mean, it's a journey and you gotta learn, but. Now, a lot of the agencies, you know, talk about uh, the value of discover local diving or doing area orientation dives, which is certainly the case. Tom mentions know the environment or if it's a novel environment, ask those who have knowledge of the environment questions regarding the situation. Well, yeah, that that's with almost anything. Know what you're getting into as much as you possibly can. I mean, you, you can't know what it's like in a place no one's gone to, but you can have maybe a rough idea. But if somebody's already been there, if there are experts in that area, learn from them. Learn from the people that dive it. Yes. Learn from the people who are there already, yeah. Be aware, he says. Listen to your intuition and intuition from others, too. The intuition thing, um, I know Tom Tom Mount was really big into that, listening to that inner voice because there's listening to your yeah, gut. Yeah. yeah, there's something. There's definitely something to that. I mean, better safe than sorry, kind of thing. And if 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 your inner voice, your if your gut is telling you, hey, 
don't do this dive. There may be something you're not catching consciously that your subconscious is catching. Uh, you just can't put your finger on it, you know? Right, which leads to his next point where he says, check both you and your team's emotions and dive only when they are in balance and positive. You have to see if there's emotional damage there on the team, for sure. If, yeah, if, if somebody's showing up crying for a big dive, bringing a bag of shit with them. They just broke up it's, it's with their not, boyfriend. It's not going to be a good dive. Yes. And uh, the reason you're going diving is to have a good dive and to have fun. Well, you know, you want to know that your team is mentally in the place that they're supposed to be. Now, if they're emotionally distraught, uh, th- I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be fine. This is, this is water. I'll be fine. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> Do you know anybody who's got like emotional baggage with them and suffering emotional damage? Yeah, he's, I'm going to buddy him up with that guy over there because <laughs> I'm not diving with him. <laughs> Well, it, it is something when you're underwater, especially in the technical realm and technical diving, the psychological aspect and the component of of that type of diving, your mental f- your mental stability is paramount to coming back from that dive, right? If you yeah, no, and I would say even so much as like if you're new to Cozumel, yeah, and I, I'm not talking. You can it's a new environment on a 200 foot. You know, technical dive in the Great Lakes, that's one thing. But somebody new new to diving, they've got 40 dives under their belt, first time in a, a drift where they can't stop the current, you better be mentally prepared for that dive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, first drift dive can be uh, taxing for, especially taxing for that that diver who's got an open water and advanced card and maybe three or four other dives on there, but they're advanced divers. Well, which means they've got what we just talked about, right. less than eight hours of experience and training. Mm-hmm. You know, they really haven't mastered mass clearing and mass removal. And if that current, you know, <laughs> flutters your mask and you take a mouth, uh, a nose full of water in, in your mask and you start choking and you can't see and, you go. I got to get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a that's a bad place to be. So if you've got those pre dive jitters, you know you need to you need to get your emotions in check before the dive. Which comes to his next point. He says use visualization and meditation for both skill performance and relaxation. And then the next one is understand the body's reaction to stressors. Yes. Learn to manage them. Calm mind. You know, master yeah. your mind and you can master almost anything. It, your mind is 99% of your your problems are perceived and a reaction is kicked in from your your mind, your your brain really. It's uh if you can get that down. I would I was just going to say if you can get that down. I mean, that's the whole thing about meditation and and zen if you will and it's it's your mind doesn't control you you control your mind which in turn means you control you yeah i mean i mean you you know like i've added this into my training for a while now i mean we we sit down for an hour just talking about breathing right and and breath control and mind control and how important that breathing pattern is it's what you're going to need 
to learn to understand how to control your emotions and and re- your responses and your impulses and the 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 things the idiosyncrasies like you have as a human being that now you're bringing you know bringing into to scuba. I mean, j- just think of like the emotional reaction when you know somebody doesn't use a, a turn signal in front of you. Somebody <laughs> cuts you off. Like when, when your reaction is you know shaking your fist out the window and you know getting back and passing them and slamming on the brakes in front of if that's the emotional baggage you bring into a dive man you, you are setting yourself up for some bad bad times yeah man. but you just you just described probably 90 percent of the drivers out there so that's a sad statement uh, on the uh, public's mental ex- well condition. there you go and is <laughs> is that not what uh, we were having this whole discussion you know early on about this is there should be a psychological you know barrier that people need to understand of like, are you psychologically fit? Just like, are you physically fit? Mm-hmm. Are you physiologically fit to get in the water today? Yes. Tom says, avoid peer pressure. Do not act on impulse alone. Analyze the situation. This is where your practice, practice, practice and knowledge comes in handy. I think you can sum up a lot of these points as, you know, know yourself. Know who you are. Know thyself. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Aristotle, Plato, they all said it. The Buddha said it. And now Tom Mount is saying it, but he's saying it pretty complex in a complex oh, manner. He's, he's saying it in 27. <laughs> I'm trying to group together some of these so it doesn't take all goddamn day. But uh, yeah, yeah. Deal with issues as they occur. I mean, this is, this is like stoic, uh, you know, yeah. Buddha quotes kind of thing, right? Deal with issues as they occur and do not worry about the end result. Problems must be solved one at a time and worry only leads to more stress. Agreed. He says, react as calmly as you can. This helps avoid making potentially serious mistakes, right? I mean, this is coming from a guy, you know, who, you know, developed a lot of this thinking you know, one through his martial arts training, but had to apply that in serious situations where he nearly died in caves, on deep dives, seeing friends of his die that he, you know, felt otherwise should have come home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. He has that perfect blend of uh, life experience, background, uh, different interests that kind of all share a common thread, which is this mental control this uh knowing yourself and uh the the connection between mind and body because besides the whole mental aspect of diving and slash life he was very much into the physical aspect as far as staying in shape working out eating healthy uh all that stuff he he knew there was a uh an intimate relationship between mind health and body health and they're connected and I think if, if you don't have that in your education, like if your foundational scuba education didn't include mm-hmm. this understanding of mind, body, health in it, you should reevaluate where you're at as a diver and look at adding that into your game and getting that and, and cementing all that core knowledge of what diving really is all about. Tom says... Be willing to turn a dive anytime for any reason. If you perceive the need, act on it. If you're not comfortable during a dive, 
Let your buddy, your team know and bail out of the dive immediately. He says, plan for the what ifs and resolve them ahead of time. This is often called be prepared. And most importantly, I think he says, be decisive. Don't be wishy-washy in life-threatening situations. Once you make a decision or a decision, ha- uh, a decision is made, do not hesitate to follow through with it. Trust yourself. This comes from confidence created by formal and personal training, knowledge, and practice. Well, key word there, that confidence and the trust yourself. And he said it right there. It comes from your training. And what you've you've been able to accomplish, and that's kind of what we talk about when we're we're talking about you know I don't and I I don't like that harassment training or you know term because you're not harassing the person. Harassment is done to injure them or to you know put some kind of assault against another right. person, right? Harass they call it harassment training. This training is to build your confidence, if if anything else, to build confidence and comfort in the water. Period. It's, it's it's there to address the what ifs yeah. that he was just saying, right? If your training has only had, you know, learn a couple of these skills, don't worry, they're never really gonna happen in real life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if that is your, your well, class, you. you're very unprepared. We use the mask. Tom knew this. You know, when you look at his philosophy, he knows it, and he looks at all these injuries and fatalities that have occurred over the years and he's saying no you got to sit there and get intimate with the what ifs and the problems and knowing that there's so many novel problems that we're not even able to think of that could happen and if your reaction because you have so little experience is to bail for the surface man you are you are in a you, you shouldn't be in this place right now right like you should have taken the time to get mentally ready. And if that mental readiness gave you the conclusion of you're not physically ready, you're not psychologically ready, you're not physiologically ready, maybe you shouldn't even be diving right now. Put that off to another day when you've got all of that taken care of. Right. And so I just want to ask you this. So what you just said, does that only apply to technical diving? I think it, like I said earlier, it, it you know applies to everything because – if you, you look at any of the Dan accident reports like we have in the past, a great chunk of those dives happen in, you know, shooting to the surface from 30 feet of water because a little bit of water gets in the mask and it's an embolism. Well, you, you know what? And this is one of the things. There's a part of me that just wants to blame the scuba industry for that death because they taught them it's okay to do that. They taught them. Oh, your last ditch effort, your last ditch you got is throw your weights off and just go. So they, what they're saying with that is, this is, yes, this is okay in the last ditch effort. Whereas I think the mentality, a better approach would be handle the problem underwater and you, without exception, you maintain buoyancy control during your ascent. Whatever problem there is, handle it and if it's a problem that's like, okay, this is a dive ender, let's go up. And we go up in our proper ascent rate. If we've got to share gas, we share gas. We do our right. stops. We don't get bent. Yes. There's no Jesus take the wheel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you ha- like this, And this is where Tom says, you know, earlier when he said, you know, 
check your team's emotions and don't get in the water if it's not in balance and positive. Like, could you imagine like uh, you're in a car and you're approaching like a traffic jam that isn't supposed to be on the highway and you just like stop steering like just <laughs> well, i'm going ah, I'm like, believe it is it is that not the equivalent of just like just giving up and bailing for the surface like yeah. you can't you can't do that behind a wheel you've got to maintain control of the vehicle avoid you know right. the 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 mom in the, the stroller problem. that's crossing the street at the inappropriate. Right. You got to avoid that. And you, you can only do that by staying mentally in the game and underwater. When things go bad, you got to do the same exact thing. Yes. You know, Tom says you got to rejoice in each step of survival as each step is toward the ultimate goal of living to dive another day. True. You know, I, I, uh, Whenever I go diving, especially with the ice diving or cave, any any you know significant kind of diving, my wife always asks me to text her when I get out of the water. You know, let me know when you go in, let me know when you come out, kind of thing. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. my my text is, I lived. That's it. I lived. I lived yeah. another one I through lived. another one. You know, no you insurance yeah. payout today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good news and bad news. The bad news, no insurance payout. Uh, the good news for me is I live. <laughs> bad news is you're reading this text. <laughs> he says, be mindful of your breathing and your gas supply. Remember, as long as you can breathe, you can most likely solve whatever problem you face. At least you're going to work towards it, right? I mean, it it beats like... Just panic and blow and go. Right. If you've got gas, calm the hell down mm-hmm. and let's work on getting home safe. Right. Yeah. When you, he it, says, I, I just want to go real quick here, yeah. James. Go. The, it's always goes through my mind. It's like getting in a bad silt out in a cave, and you're, but you're still breathing. You don't, you, yeah, you may have a problem finding your way home. You, you may have a problem. You got to get that line again. You got to find your exit, but it does not help anything. If you just lose it, you just lose your shit because all of a sudden your your guideline home is not is not known, right? You don't know where it is. But you still you have gas, you're still alive. You know, you see what I'm saying is just Right. Well that's and Tom's big focus was that right. never give up. Oh yeah, you can't mental give up. Sur- mental survival will lead to your physical survival. Yeah. Focus on what you have. Focus on your tools. Don't let your breathing go crazy out of control because you're freaking out. Don't spend five oh. minutes writing your last will and testament in your wet notes when you yes. could use that five spend minutes. Spend that five minutes getting the fuck out. Home. Yeah. Yeah. He says, stay within what you define as your personal limits. Next, he says, recognize fear as a method of alerting you, but do not allow fear to control you. Use it only to appraise whether to what degree danger may exist. Fear is, right. yeah, fear. We have it there for a reason, and it's for our survival. But if you let it master you, you don't. It's the opposite. You're going to get it, right? Yeah, and I think like that's where a lot of people get into trouble is they, they don't have a good definition of what their personal limits are which puts them into dangerous, which gets them, you know, uh, situations and, and, and gets them with that fear mentality. 
and they've never trained it. They've never practiced no. that. And that's where because the, the their training in their classes was all handshake, pat on the back, well done, here's your card. Tom's focus was train this part, this mental game. Yeah, it's um again, it go it goes back to like you say, the this training and the and the giving up thing and there's not enough of this kind of thing in a regular class. And I remember what I was going to say, the fear thing, James. The, the, the more you confront something you're afraid to do, the stronger you become and the more adept you become at handling fear. It becomes a uh, – you, you realize the benefit of it. When you, when you scare yourself enough times, when you purposely enter uh, into an endeavor that is going to – is something you fear – when you do that, you become stronger and you become more masterful of your fear. That's all there is to it. I mean, and, and I think that's part of what he's getting into is. Well, yeah, you need to face it. You need to be you need to know that fear. You need to be friends with that fear and understand it. Not all not always be afraid of it and hide from it and try to not experience it. Absolutely. I, I on a weekly basis, I have a few cocktails with my fear. Uh, we're good buddies. Very good buddies. Uh, I'm going to be scared shitless editing this episode, <laughs> having a cocktail with my fear. That's exactly what I'm going to do. You know, the last, the last three points here, Brando, is to the point of knowing that the goal is to live. And, and it's really your choice, that, that living or dying, when you hit these situations. and. The first of these last three says, if you choose to place yourself in a risk zone, then, the, then be responsible enough to maintain good physical and psychological conditioning, as this is the key to living or dying. Next, he says, always, always, always remain in the dive while solving problems. Do not become so absorbed into the problem that you lose awareness of the dive. That's with everything. And, that. and that's something that, like, like we share on this show, you know, it, it often comes up in, you know, f- photography discussions where or people seeing the whale shark swim by or seeing the, the amazing sight that people forget you're diving first, foremost, and always, no matter how wonderful the sight is or on the other side of that, no ma- matter how bad the situation becomes, you have to stay in the dive. Yes. You're always diving. So that, you know, dive, task, enjoy. Dive, task, enjoy. Whatever, whatever that is, you know. Yes, you got to keep that cycle going. And the last one that he has here is when faced with the impossible, choose to live. Okay. What if I choose uh, Taco Supreme instead? <laughs> it's like you the have impossible. To live. <laughs> you, have to, you have to live in order to get to those tacos. I, I'll choose to live, but... <laughs> Well, hey, there you go, people. That's uh, that's some more Tom out for you. His guidelines to survival. And a, a little bit early on about the early evolution of technical diving and and how it's contributed really to where we are today in 2022 of, of all diving education. You know, recreational, technical, cave, I mean, uh, Tom Mount's, you know, thinking and his contributions to to the game really have uh, paved the way for where we are today in 2022. Absolutely, absolutely. He was he was huge, and like I say, I uh, we lost a big one here. 
when I was just getting into technical diving. He was it. He was the man. Okay, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed our couple of uh, episodes about Tom Mount, and uh, maybe we'll do some more of the old guy uh, in the future. And until then, Brando, should we sign some uh, some logbooks? Let's sign logbooks. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, it's time to go up. Always, always, always have fun diving. <laughs> Um, I'll never forget that, James. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. And safe diving, folks.